0: God's people, which is my paraphrase of 2 Timothy 3, 16, and 17, then we need to spend some time asking ourselves how the laws and and the regulations that make up a large part of the Old Testament apply to us today. Do they have anything to do with us? Too often, those are the parts of the Bible that we either ignore altogether, or we from, to try and support whatever view or idea or, or, or thing that we want to do. And what I'm going to argue is that neither of those is a faithful way to approach the Old Testament. Instead, what we have before us here in Hebrews chapter 9 is going to give us a faithful model, a, uh, a a key, if you will, that we need to, to use if we're going to unlock that connection of how the Old Testament flow into the new, and how is Christ at the center of it all? So uh, this week, and then in a couple weeks, we'll, we'll finish it up. Uh, probably not going to be the easiest chapter to work through, but that's okay. Right? Sometimes we need to do some of that spiritual weightlifting. Uh, I know I was horrified the day that I learned that weightlifting is actually dist- break it down to build it up. I was like, "What on earth? You got to be kidding me." And yet that's that's true, isn't it? And in some sense, it can be true spiritually as well. Sometimes we need to to wrestle a little bit with some of the harder things so that we would understand, so that we would grow in our faith. So then this week what we want to to ask and to start answering is how do the laws of God specifically, I mean the laws about uh, worship at the tabernacle, how do those point us to something even better, even greater in Christ? And in seeing that, we're going to learn that the Bible is far more consistent than we think, certainly far more consistent than the, uh, you know, kind of critics of Christianity on the internet seem to say, and we're also going to learn that Christ's work goes far deeper spent the last few chapters in Hebrews uh, talking about how Jesus is greater than any other, right? So he's the greatest priest. His promises are perfectly suited to us. His priesthood is better than the priesthood that anyone else could ever offer. Now then, this morning, we need to see the comparison. When we say that Jesus and his promises are better, we need to ask a question, Well, well, better than What better than who? And if you open your Bible to Hebrews chapter 9, we're going to begin to see that together. Again, this is Hebrews chapter 9, and I want you to see it side by side together. Now, even the first covenant had regulations for worship and an earthly place of holiness, for a tent Tablets of the covenant. Above it were the cherubim of glory, overshadowing the mercy seat. Uh, of these things we cannot now speak in detail. All right, and it's—I realize it's a little bit small, but if you—if you look, there's a good illustration of the the tabernacle, kind of a nice cutaway there, and that's what we're going to talk about first: is the tabernacle. And I should start off by saying that I'm so thankful that the Lord caused these verses to be written. Because, if you're anything like me, uh, you probably don't know as much uh, about Old Testament worship as you should. And so by God's grace, we have a a summary right here. Uh, If you weren't with us last week, it would probably help uh, to go back and quickly skim chapter 8. That's where all of this starts. And so now here in chapter 9, uh, we're getting a summary of what the old covenant or the uh, the first covenant consisted of. Uh, we begin with the with the tabernacle. Uh, all of this, by the way, detailed in Exodus, where it tells us of a large tent with a a wooden frame that was to be constructed in a very specific way. Right? All the directions clearly laid out. And when you think of a tent, don't think of uh, backpacking. Don't think of you know camping at the local state park. Um, think more more circus tent sized. Um, ultimately, it's about 45 feet long, about 15 uh, feet wide and 15 feet high, so pretty pretty sizable actually. Uh, this tent then had two rooms inside. The first room is called the holy place and there was a large woven curtain that would separate it from what was called the most holy place, that, that second room, Holy of Holies and the author tells us that there are certain furnishings in, in each room of the tent certain uh, certain furniture certain certain items and spends the most time telling us of the things in that second room the, the most holy place uh, the tablets of the Covenant refers to the stone tablets right we call those the Ten Commandments typically uh, on top of the ark is a is a cover and on top of that cover, there are our golden uh, cherubim uh, angels, as it were, with their their wings outstretched. Uh, this is translated in the ESV as the the mercy seat. Uh, that's the traditional way to say it, but I realize that probably doesn't mean a whole lot. I mean, mer- mercy seat? Like does someone does someone sit there, or what's going on? Um, other Bible translators help us with this when they translate it as the uh, the atonement cover, or more literally. where God would appear as a a cloud and meet with certain leaders of his people. This is what Old Testament worship at the tabernacle would look like. And so the first thing we need to know is that the Old Covenant was related to worship and practices that happened at a certain place. Place is the, the key thing here. It's in and around the tabernacle, all centered on the Holy of Holies. And so that's where we're at. Uh, one thing, just to point out before I move on, you would think that if we're going to talk about Old Testament worship, that we'd be talking about the temple. Right? Isn't that what we usually talk about? Isn't that even, um, you don't hear it so much now, but I remember growing up, that was religious, it was, oh, there's going to be a rebuilt temple, and we're going to, right, so that's kind of how we think. Uh, I want you to notice all throughout Hebrews, with with just a few exceptions, we're actually talking about a tabernacle, and actually throughout the New Testament, the tabernacle is what's focused on even more than the physical temple, which kind of reverses our, our, our thinking, doesn't it? I mean, the temple certainly is where, you know, where uh, early Christians would meet out in the temple courts and things. But as far as worship, the, the the reference, the connection goes further back. It goes back to this, to this tabernacle. So this tent is far more important than than perhaps we think. But who does this worship? How does this worship happen? We turn to that next. Verses 6 and 7. These preparations having thus been made, uh, the priests go regularly into the first section, the, the first room, performing their ritual duties. But into the second, only the high priest goes, and he but once a year, and not without taking blood, which he offers for himself and for the unintentional sins. Um furnishings, how is the furniture used? Well, it's ultimately not by you or me. It's not by just the, the regular people in Israel. It's, it's not entering into a church like this where uh, do you realize that you are taking part in what God is doing? So when you come to this church, notice uh, the, the singing is done by Yes, it's led by a worship team or by a choir, we have specials, but ultimately you join in with it. Uh, when we sit and we're, we're reading of the scriptures and you're reading it not only in your own language, but also you have something to read, whether it's paper or digital, or you are entering into this. It's very different, miles different than what worship at the in many ways, whatever offering you'd bring, the the priest would take it, and then you're you're kind of still outside. See how different this is, and it's even more different when we realize that not only are there two rooms, but there's two categories of priests. The first are the the regular priests. Uh, these serve only in that first room, that that uh, initial room, outer room of the tabernacle. And they go about their duties, which we're going to come to here in a moment. But then the second category of priest is very exclusive. Uh, and, and In fact, it's singular. It's the high priest. And he alone would be allowed to go into that second inner room, the holy of holies. And yet, not even he could go in just whenever he felt like it. But instead, the high priest would enter only once per year sacrifice with him what's going on here? well the regular priests perform certain sacrifices and ceremonies also detailed in God's law you might call it kind of the, the, the regular worship of the Old Testament people of God but the high priest does something that's exclusive only to his role. he offers a sacrifice for himself and for his people. they have not not tried to rebel against God, but have, just in the course of life, have sinned against God. All the ways in which they had raised their hand against what God had commanded throughout the year. At the time of the tabernacle, then, this would be a description of generally how things were laid out, how the priests went about their duties, what Old Testament worship looked like. That's what the author of gives to us. And only now do we get to the meat of these verses. What does that mean for people this side of the cross? All right, That's who the book of Hebrews is written to, after all. This is after the Gospels. What does any of this mean for Christians? Look with me at verse it indicates that the way into the holy places is not yet opened as long as the first section is still standing, which is symbolic for the present age. According to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper, but deal only with food and drink and various washings, regulations for the body imposed until the time of reformation. all of this matters for. Here's what the author of Hebrews wants us to see. The very first thing we read is that there's a certain amount of symbolism built in to this worship at the tabernacle. It's not just any old tent. The priests don't just happen to be whoever thought this had a a good career, good job prospects. No, instead, as the book of Exodus tells us, every aspect of the sense, but instead symbolism in the sense of it all matters. It's not just rote tradition that we do just because we do tradition. No, there's a point to each part of this. It's spelled out in God's law. Here then, the author of Hebrews wants us to see that the Holy Spirit is showing something in this arrangement of the tabernacle. And what is that? that the way into the Holy of Holies, that is to say, the way into the presence of God was not open, not generally, certainly not to the people at large, it was not available to them all, not even to the high priest except but once per year. So long as that, that, that first room was still standing, so long as the tabernacle was still operating, still in place, direct access to the Lord was extremely limited. Exclusively limited, actually. That's the first truth we need to get. Notice how different it is. Here's the second truth. Under that old covenant, the sacrifice is being offered. So you know all those laws and things that you get to in your There are numbers is usually where Bible reading plans kind of you know putter out a little bit. Right? Because what do we do with this? What about all these sacrifices? And there's a grain offering and and, and, and you know we can only offer this kind of a a a goat or a lamb or right what does any of that do? Well we see here ultimately these things deal with laws about Ceremonial washings, other external regulations. Notice what they don't do. They do not cleanse the conscience of God's people. They don't help with distinguishing between what God says is right and what God says is wrong. They don't cleanse the heart of a worshiper. Do not actually make everything right with God. Now, that doesn't make them worthless. Far from it. Uh, think of uh, any of you who are who are married, or, or if you know someone who's married, right? Um, you probably have a wedding ring, right? This ring is not the marriage itself. You know, if I lose this, i try not to. But if I lose this, it doesn't suddenly mean, oh wait. doesn't make it worthless but it does make it a symbol of something else, something deeper, something in this case very limited but it points to something very real that's how it is with Old Testament sacrifices, they do matter but they're always pointing to something different than just the the sacrifice itself what do we do with it, all this leads to several applications first is this you are hearing these words, if you are reading this passage today and you are not a Christian, then I want you to be aware of a danger. Right? Because one of the things that we see in this world around us is there is a spiritual hunger. Maybe we don't always use that word for it, but do you realize that all of the, the different ways, the different philosophies of life that are popular right now are trying to somehow fill You saw one of the latest commercials from Apple Computer, right? And you saw it was about environmentalism. Um, caring for the environment's not bad. That's not what I'm saying. But if you watch, it's very much a a commercial about how if we can just build computers and purchase products in this right green way, then we're going to save the. Pl- some folks, perhaps some of you here, think that. Um, Perhaps you think the greatest problem in this world is is climate change or the environment. Uh, Similarly, um, the talk about rights in our nation. Uh, I don't necessarily mean that politically, but the idea uh, of rights. Some folks make that the greatest, most important thing of their lives. important thing is that you can be reconciled to the one true God. Uh, Rights are important, but they're secondary to that. And yet, some folks dedicate their entire lives to to talking about or figuring out rights. Or you could certainly fill in lots of these blanks, right? Here's the danger then. If you're not a Christian, I don't want you to become fascinated with a Christless because right? sometimes, especially if you're looking for truth, which is a good thing, you can settle too easily, too quickly. You find something that seems helpful and you latch on to it. Uh, a number of years ago, there was a popular website that has since skyrocketed uh, in its visibility that really seemed to scratch a nerve for young men uh, here in the United States. Sorts of advice, everything from how to use an axe to to limb a tree to how to tie a tie, and what was the name of that website? It is the Art of Manliness. Right? Don't get me wrong; there's some good stuff on there, but that has since then grown. Not just that website into there's whole movements about this, this manliness movement, or ladies, I assume there's a equivalent. No, there certainly are for mom, because I've heard of mommy blogs, and they offer their own religion of making sure your kids are eating everything gluten-free and fair trade and non-GMO, and and if you do that, you're a great mom, and if you don't, you're an awful mom, right? You see, there's all these philosophies, all these ideas out there, and our current era has a lot of folks looking for something, something to bring meaning and purpose and rooted when somebody settles for a tradition or a practice that doesn't actually offer what they need. That's the warning built into this description. This old covenant did not actually, did not finally or fully offer worshipers what they needed. In fact, it was never intended to. Friend, if if you are looking for the God of the universe, if you're looking for some sort of faith, what you need is not just ceremony, What your soul needs, what will truly give you hope and fill you with joy, is not just going through some sort of motions or joining some sort of club. It's not just to get religion. No. Instead, I would invite you to do two things. And the first is to read ahead, because you'll see in verse 11 that Christ's appearance second is to be a little bit stingy. Be a little bit stingy. Don't just take the first thing offered to you that seems to offer some sort of hope, some sort of better life. Instead, you need to ask deeply, what will satisfy? What will really matter? What's not just the new marketing slogan, the new political Philosophy that's really popular for men right now. Yes, there is a whole series of those. But instead, what will actually matter and last? What will offer you grace instead of just calling you to do more and try harder and oops, you failed? The answer to that is only Christ. Only Jesus offers what you need. Before you give your life to anything or anything else, consider. those who are known to Christ, those who do follow him as disciples. We need to beware of taking Old Testament practices and trying to directly just import them into our life now. If Jesus really is the center of the scriptures, and that's what Luke 24 makes a huge point of, then all things really do point to Jesus so we should expect his life, his death, his his resurrection, his teachings to change everything, and it does. That's what the author of Hebrews is saying. Hey, there's a difference here between Old Testament worship and between what Jesus has accomplished. That's what he's pointing out. And so to understand any passage rightly, the cross shed light on whatever's being taught? And how, does, how does Jesus show us what is most centrally true about this? Always ask, what does this tell me about my Savior? Let me give one other application then. This is for everyone. Right? If, the, if you're not a Christian, then what you and to actually to ask some hard questions about whatever philosophies or ideas of the good life are being given to you. If you are a Christian, you need to be careful. Don't just pick and choose from the Old Testament. Um, right now, I know there's a number of very popular movements of kind of a, you know, back to Jewishness. third, then, for everyone, beware of thinking that external religion equals true faith. Beware of thinking that external religion, that going through the motions, having your name on a membership roll, even just showing up in a church, beware of thinking that, that these external things equal faith. Because that's not necessarily the case. And I know that the Pharisees proved this time and time again in the New Testament. And Jesus kept saying, hey, you've got all these rituals, all these practices, but you don't actually care. You don't worship. You don't really believe in the same things that God has said matter most. There are many ways to be a hypocrite. One of them comes when we put on a show our persona and what people see and our social media profile and how how we're perceived by others. No. What about the true you? What about who you actually are? Do you worship Jesus, the risen Savior? Is what we're doing here more than just tradition or routine? what we need. That's what we're after. That's what we're doing here at First E. Free. For us, what we need more than ritual, what we need more than routine, even more than traditions, and traditions aren't necessarily bad, but what we need is a who. We need Jesus. He is the one who offers the perfect sacrifice. He is the one who has entered that most holy Place. He is the one who gives us access to God. It is his death and resurrection that secures our faith, that deals with our sins, that gives us hope beyond uh, commandments we, we are able to keep and the ones we fail at. It is Christ who has done the work. This is why his priesthood, his covenant, fulfill God's promises in a way that brings us hope that lasts, joy that What we need most is, is not just a, a new law, um, something else that we can't keep. Jesus didn't come to just sort of help you do the right things. No, Jesus did them for you. Do you realize that? Christ not only paid the penalty, but also his righteousness, his never why all of our response, all of our our application of God's word, that's why none of it earns any salvation at all. And that's a great thing because we can do it out of grateful hearts, ready to respond to our king, ready to, to live as the citizens of the kingdom. Simple. some here, perhaps the hardest part of, of that is that they themselves are workers. You have built that into their character. That they've worked hard, that they've earned everything that they've needed. And so for them, perhaps the hurdle today is to realize there are some things they cannot earn, some things that hard work really won't. Old Testament examples, but even the new, that God's people are called to actually trust Jesus, to respond in faith. us all, would you have us walk away from this place today grateful, thankful that Jesus has done what we cannot, that he invites us into the life that we cannot have for ourselves.